WSJM News Now. This is the 5 o'clock News Block on News Talk Sports 94.9 WSJM. Brought to you by the Town Crier Wire. The Michigan Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission has voted 8-1 to one to appeal a federal ruling that ordered the redrawing of three Metro Detroit State House and Senate districts. Public comment was held before the vote on Thursday. One woman said she'd like to see the current maps go. I would just like to say, as a concerned citizen, I would like to ask the commission to reflect on how much they've spent to date defending these racially gerrymandered maps because I think that it's a huge issue and needs to be reflected on greatly. Last month, a federal three-judge panel ruled the commission violated black voter rights by improperly relying on racial data to redraw 13 districts. The village of Stevensville is telling businesses about two new grant opportunities now available. Village manager Casey Dominguez tells us Stevensville recently qualified for the Michigan Economic Development Corporation's Redevelopment Ready Communities Program. That makes the village able to offer assistance to businesses. So what did the village have to do to qualify? The checklist includes things like updating your zoning ordinance to allow for mixed use or other activities to have a lot of zoning and development information on your website. There's certain policies and procedures that need to be developed and passed through the council. Dominguez says the village is now taking applications from businesses interested in the Match on Main Reimbursement Grant Program. It offers up to $25,000 for a business to make improvements. She's already hearing interest. We've posted it this morning, and I already had two businesses reach out. So I I will meet with the businesses. We'll talk about their project proposal and determine whether it's eligible for the program or not. Dominguez says the grants can be used for capital improvements, purchasing new inventory, marketing, new technology, or activating new indoor or outdoor space. She'll meet with business owners who apply, and then consideration of which two applications to submit to the state will be made by the Village Council. Any interested business owner should contact Stevensville Village Hall. The Village of Eau Claire is getting a more than $1.8 million grant from the state to improve its water system. The Michigan Department of Environment, Great Lakes and Energy has announced a total of $17.7 million in MI Clean Water grants for communities around the state. The grants are intended to help those communities upgrade aging infrastructure to ensure healthy drinking water and protect the environment. Eau Claire has been approved for $1,866,000 for upgrades to the wastewater treatment system, including new influent control structures, a new outfall to Farmer's Creek, new transfer structures and piping between lagoons, berm maintenance, and abandoning bypass structures. Eagle says 70% of Michiganders are served by more than 1,000 community wastewater systems and a similar percentage get drinking water from community water systems. Those systems often struggle to find resources to address legacy issues like aging water and stormwater facilities and new standards for chemicals. The MI Clean Water grants are intended to help. Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel says that Meyer customers in several counties had their personal information stolen by a Grand Haven man who obtained their login information for Meyer's M-Perks program. The 22-year-old Nicholas Moy is charged with one count of conducting a criminal enterprise, one count of the use of a computer to commit a crime, and seven counts of identity theft. He's facing up to 20 years in prison. Moy is accused of the theft and sale of account access information tied to M-Perks accounts, which is a Meyer loyalty program. Nessel says a lot of people have been affected. The seven counts of identity theft account for seven specified account thefts, though it's apparent this crime was committed against hundreds of counts and Meyer customers. And we have charged identity theft in connection to individual victims from Bay County, Emmett County, Ingham County, Kent County, 
Livingston County, Marquette County, and St. Joseph County. It's alleged that Moy obtained login credentials from a separate data breach, cross-referenced those credentials for access success with the MPRIX infrastructure, and then sold those login credentials on the internet. Those who bought the login information then used it to make their own purchases through Meyer. There have been cases documented both in stores and online. It's not believed that Meyer's infrastructure was directly breached, but this was a case of credential stuffing. Moy was arraigned in Kent County last month. The Michigan Department of Transportation has released a video recapping its major construction projects in 2023. The video highlights several more than $100 million projects around the state, also focusing on new innovations. They include the installation of the first public in-road charging system in the U.S. and testing of electric vehicles in Detroit, as well as special lanes on I-75 in Oakland County. Phase 3 of the modernized I-75 wrapped up this year and introduced Michigan to its first high-occupancy vehicle lanes, or HOV lanes for short. These new lanes cover nearly 14 miles of I-75 in Oakland County and are first of their kind in the state. Major projects highlighted in the video include the $210 million Rebuilding Michigan project on I-60 in Calhoun and Eaton counties. That included the rebuilding of 25 miles of road from I-94 to Charlotte. Another project is $66 million invested to rebuild I-196 from the ground up from Hudsonville to Zeeland. While it seems the construction will never stop, MDOT is asking all drivers to drop the distractions and take extra caution when going through construction zones. Michigan State Police canines will be safer out in the field thanks to a donation made to the state police by a Kalamazoo company. Michigan State Police Captain Michael Brown with the 5th District in Pawpaw tells us that uh, Michael Tonto Alexander, the owner of Night Beams Products, offered the agency funds to purchase beacon lights that can be added to the canine harnesses. We have 43 canine units across the state of Michigan, and the generous business owner donated enough money to outfit every one of the canines, basically from St. Joe down here all the way to the Upper Peninsula. Brown says when the state police canines are tracking suspects or missing persons, they can go miles into the field, and especially if it's night, the dogs can be difficult to see. Especially in uh, rural areas, lots of people flee uh, alongside the freeways, rural areas, or the flea house, and the canine units. Uh, they're out there by themselves or with another person for support, but they're out there in the, all kinds of terrain. That'll be a great visibility for them from the air when needed. Brown says the beacons are simple, small lights that can make a big difference. The $1,800 donation for the lights was made to the state police in Matawan yesterday. And a suspect is in custody following a chase with police in Cass County today. The Cass County Sheriff's Department says deputies were notified about 3.20 a.m. that the Elkhart County Sheriff's Department was in pursuit of a vehicle believed to be driven by a suspect involved in a domestic incident in Elkhart. Cass County deputies spotted the driver and gave chase. The driver fled north from the Edwardsburg area into Jefferson Township, where the chase ended due to police deploying spike strips that deflated his tires. The suspect was taken to the Cass County Jail. His name has not been released. WSJM News Now continues with your Bloomberg report. WSJM News now continues. As voters in Iowa get ready to cast their ballots in less than two weeks, Republican presidential candidates are furiously campaigning across the Hawkeye state. Nikki Haley got a question about how she might handle pardoning former President Donald Trump during an event on Thursday evening. Liz Landers has more. During a CNN town hall on Thursday night, Republican presidential hopeful Nikki Haley was asked why she would pardon former President Trump if he were convicted of crimes. For me, it's not about guilt or innocence. It's about what's in the best interest for the country. And I don't think our country will move forward with an 80-year-old president sitting in jail that allows our country to continue to be divided. 
We have to move on past that. Trump faces 91 felony counts in four separate cases. He has pleaded not guilty. Liz Landers, ABC News, Washington. Migrants are arriving in the U.S. under the Biden administration's new safe mobility offices set up in Colombia, Guatemala, Costa Rica, and Ecuador. The idea is to streamline the U.S. refugee process so migrants don't give up and pay smugglers to make the journey north. Since the initiative began last summer, there have been about 9,000 approvals. While the White House says 3,000 refugees have come to the U.S., it's hardly made a dent in illegal crossings of the U.S.-Mexico border. There are more than 10,000 arrests each day over many days in December. The U.S. Supreme Court has declined to take up the question of presidential immunity on an expedited basis. So what are the next steps and how long could the appeals process take in the Trump election fraud case? Here's ABC News reporter Devin Dwyer. Because this appeals process is just getting underway, uh, it will likely delay the trial that was set for Donald Trump on March 4th. That means it will most likely get bumped. A decision in the appeals court could take weeks or months. And then, as is expected, that question, that decision will end up at the U.S. Supreme Court. So there are ways to go on this question. But one of the big questions in all of this Trump legal morass is, is he immune? And we're still some ways from an answer to that question, but the appeals court next week we'll take it up. The leader of the Lebanese militia Hezbollah says his group must retaliate after a presumed Israeli strike hit a Beirut neighborhood this week, killing a senior Hamas official. Without a response, Hassan Nasrallah said all of Lebanon would be vulnerable to Israeli attack. He appeared to be making the case for a response to the Lebanese public, even at the risk of escalating the fighting between Hezbollah and Israel. But he gave no indication of how or when militants would act. The strike that killed Hamas's deputy political director threatened months of efforts by the U.S. to prevent the war in Gaza from spiraling into a regional conflict. The U.S. military has confirmed that it's carried out its own airstrike in Baghdad, killing an Iran-backed militia leader responsible for recent attacks on American personnel. Here's Deputy Pentagon Press Secretary Sabrina Sims today. We've always said this uh, from from the very beginning, and and it doesn't just uh, pertain to what's happening in the Middle East, but all around the world. We always reserve the right to protect our forces, to protect our people wherever they are stationed. And yesterday, what you saw the U.S. military do is take precise action against a known terrorist leader that has been one of the orchestrators of attacks against our our forces in Iraq and Syria. Federal officials have cleared the way for Florida to begin importing cheaper prescription drugs from Canada. It's the first time any U.S. state has used the approach and follows years of frustration with U.S. drug prices. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed the plan into law in 2019, but it required approval by the Food and Drug Administration. Importing cheaper drugs has long been popular with patients and consumer groups, but faced years of pushback from the pharmaceutical industry. The politics of the issue has shifted in recent years. Both President Biden and former President Trump supported importing medications to help lower costs. While the FBI reports the number of murders is down 6% around the country, it's now focused on a new threat that's putting public officials at risk. ABC's Andy Field has details from Washington. Attorney General Merrick Garland addressing law enforcement officials on fighting violent crime, saying there's a spike in people saying they want to harm public servants, including election workers, teachers, reporters, and politicians. These threats of violence are unacceptable. They threaten the fabric of our democracy. The Attorney General mentioning increased security fears for many public officials. Andy Field, ABC News, Washington. A light earthquake has shaken a wide area of Southern California. The U.S. Geological Survey says the quake struck at 10.55 a.m. Friday. After several revisions, the magnitude was set at 4.2. The quake was centered about a mile northwest of Little Creek in the San Gabriel Mountains, about 45 miles east of downtown Los Angeles. 
Such a quake is typically not strong enough to cause significant damage, and the Los Angeles Fire Department says it has no immediate reports of damage to buildings or infrastructure. Veteran seismologist Lucy Jones says the quake occurred in Cajon Pass. That's where two fault lines come together. And ahead of a civil corruption trial, the longtime leader of the National Rifle Association is stepping down. More from ABC's Dave Packer. As CEO, Wayne LaPierre has led the NRA for more than three decades, where he pushed back any attempts at gun control in the face of mass shootings. But now the 74-year-old is resigning ahead of a New York civil trial where he and other executives are accused of spending millions of dollars of donors' money on expensive perks, including, in LaPierre's case, the use of a 107-foot yacht. LaPierre has said cruising the Bahamas on that yacht was necessary because he was facing security threats in the U.S. after mass shootings. Dave Packer, ABC News.